Well, hello and welcome to this edition of the IFS Zooms In. And today we're going to talk about what's happening to the economy and what the Chancellor is doing about it. And to do that, I'm joined by uh, Helen Miller, who's Associate Director at the IFS, and Chris Giles, Economics Editor at the Financial Times, and some time ago, uh, formerly also an economist here at the IFS. What's happening to the economy is fairly straightforward. We're in the deepest recession in history. We're recording this edition uh, on the day that the ONS released its latest GDP figures for the year to May, uh, suggesting only a tiny upturn during May after the record uh, 20% fall in the size of the economy during April. Uh, That leaves huge questions for all of us in terms of how we come out of this uh, recession. The Chancellor just last week announced another $30 of spending to try and prevent more job losses and get the economy going again on top of uh, spending something like £160 billion since March. That's a huge amount. So let's start with with you, Helen. Um, We've had this period really since March where we've had lockdown. Um, and to some extent, the Chancellor has put the economy on ice. A whole range of sectors have been shut down, uh, but with cheap loans and tax breaks and paying wages of about a third of private sector workers, uh, things have been kept um, pretty much in suspended um, animation. He's now trying to find a way to kickstart the economy again. Um, perhaps you could just take us through how he's thinking about or how he might be thinking about that kick-starting and the fiscal stimulus that we're seeing at the moment. Sure. I think there's, there's kind of two diff- related but different things he might be thinking about. I mean, as you mentioned, a lot of what's happened so far is the economy's been put on ice. There was kind of a hope early on that we'd do that. We would then take the economy off ice, we'd you know, re- reduce lockdown, um, and the economy would just bounce back to normal. Uh, I think there's there's two things now we know um, that means that's not true. The first is that we're probably not going to return to the old normal. The, life will just look different. People have changed, I suspect, their preferences. They may do now more online shopping. They may work at home more. Um, so we're not going to go back to the old world. So there's a role for government in helping promote recovery and a transition to a new way of working and a new way of a new way of being. So there are some policies there around promoting a recovery because we're not going to bounce back to the old normal. We also know that there's been quite a lot of damage in the last few months. When we take the economy off ice, it's not going to bounce back. There are some people in firms who now have lower incomes, they have higher debts. They're not going to just go back to spending like it's 2019 or even like it's January 2020. Um, There's also still a huge amount of uncertainty, both about the economy and about health. And that's uh, going to be hanging around for a while. And we know uncertainty depresses economic activity. So given these conditions, the chance is going to be looking not just to smooth you know, the path towards a new normal, but also be to trying to boost the economy and get it kick-started and back, stimulated again, back to, uh, you know, as big as it can be. The big challenge is going to be that, unlike in previous recessions, where we just want to get moving as soon as possible, the government is simultaneously thinking about how to boost the economy, while with the other hand, purposefully holding back the economy and constraining it because it wants to manage the, the flow of the disease. So the basic judgment's going to have to be, can we make the economy bigger, while still maintaining these social distancing rules, is there spare capacity that the government um, can try to fill? And if there's not, then it's kind of too early for a fiscal stimulus. So the timing here is going to be really key, but the government is going to be trying to get the economy moving as much as it can within the constraints uh, that have been put in place to manage the disease. 
So, Chris, one of the um, uh, big policies announced uh, last week as a way of, as Helen was saying, trying to kickstart the economy was a temporary VAT cut on food and accommodation and attractions. We've moved, it seems very oddly, from this uh, world a month ago or even a couple of weeks ago where we were banned from going out and eating in restaurants to um, next month when we'll be effectively bribed to be going out and eating in, in restaurants. Does this, does this feel like a, the, the right sort of stimulus to you? Uh, it does, actually. Uh, in terms of one one aspect of the policy, it's clearly designed to be, at the margin, a demand stimulus where people are unnecessarily cautious about going back to restaurants. Now, clearly, if there's another increase in the level of virus, then you'd want to take this off very, very quickly. So if if it was genuinely unsafe to do so, you wouldn't want people going back into hospitality. But the problem is, uh, and I think there's quite a lot of docu- evidence to document this, that there is a demand problem, that people are overly cautious now with the level of the virus there is remaining in the UK now that we can actually test it and see relatively accurately what level of virus there is in the UK now in a complete uh, U-turn from March and April, where we had literally no idea what level the virus was in the UK. So it's, a, it's an attempt to try and make people a little bit less cautious, give them a bit of a boost to go uh, into restaurants, particularly in the summer months where you can go outside where it's safe. And certainly from my rather small sample of two, uh, they're not overflowing at the moment, the restaurants. But we also know that from footfall data so on a wider basis that there isn't suddenly a return to normal operations or normal levels of people in entertainment zones. So all of the faster data suggests that footfall around entertainment venues are still between 40 and 50% lower than they were this time last year. So there is significant evidence there's a demand as well as a supply problem in the hospitality sector. And that's uh, even given the social distancing requirements and the very significant reduction in capacity? Yes. I mean, if it was just the case that there was a reduction in capacity, but people were queuing outside, then you wouldn't want uh, to try and stimulate demand further. But so far, at least, with only two weeks in, we do see there's still a lot of capacity. There's no problem booking spots in restaurants. There's uh, There's no suggestion that it's just a supply problem. So that's why it's almost certainly quite well targeted. Of course, you've got to take these decisions if you're government before you know what the problem is. Sometimes you just can't wait and for ages to decide to see where the data is going to land before you, you make decisions on policy. And this is the difficult situation that I think the Treasury were in. But I think this time round, they've got it uh, pretty much spot on. Helen, I think you might be a little more sceptical. Yes, although I agree with Chris's point in that there's just a huge amount of uncertainty because we don't yet know exactly how much demand is going to come back. And of course, it's always evolving. So we've seen what's happened so far and you can see there aren't cues. But of course, as people get more information about the disease and as they um, maybe learn in their local area that it's less less bad than they thought or they become a bit more confident for other reasons, maybe that demand would have picked up without the VAT stimulus. On the other hand, maybe it would have been the case that actually people are going to stay really worried. And even if you cut VAT, they're going to still be worried and they're not going to go out anyway. So, and then it's just a kind of dead weight of the, you're kind of doing the policy without getting any of the benefits. So I think there is a huge amount of uncertainty. 
I think I may have waited a bit longer because um, I think there might have been some bounce back anyway. And I think I would have tried to do things like public communications and um, give information about the, the, the spread of the disease. But I completely agree with Chris that you can also wait too long for these things. And ultimately, the government's just got to make a decision and, and run with it. So it is difficult. Um, of course, it's also worth saying that in those cases where um, you know certain attractions or hotels are full, and I'm sure there'll be some cases where they are, um, the VAT cut, I suspect, won't be passed on to consumers. It will be held on to by firms. Of course, that will help out some firms. Um, I'm sure cash will be appreciated in those sectors. Of course, it's worth pointing out that it won't be the firms that are most in need that get the most, hang on to the VAT most. It'll be those firms that have the highest sales and they're operating closest to normal that are most able to keep the VAT for themselves. So it will help firms, but it won't help firms in a way that's targeted at firms that are most struggling. And I think we should recognise that we're not necessarily going to see price cuts here relative to the pre-pandemic prices, at least. So there, there's been an enormous amount of additional cost on the hospitality sector and prices are quite likely to rise on a cost push basis rather than a demand basis. So one of the, one of the aspects of the VAT cut will be temporarily to be holding down those prices in a socially distanced world. So let's assume in a, in a very good scenario, we have a vaccine and sometime next year we can move back to the way we used to like to go to pubs and restaurants. Then you can also see the VAT cut as a way of tidying businesses over until we might be in a better situation by keeping prices essentially the same, by giving them a small subsidy to get through a temporary period of very difficult operations when their margins are in any case razor thin. Do you, do you think the Chancellor should have done even more then, Chris? I, to be honest, I don't know. Is the is the only thing I think we can say. It, I think they. I think he did the right thing. He targeted it on an, on a level where the money is likely to remain in the UK economy, uh, unlike uh, a generalised VAT cut, and unlike things like a car scrappage scheme, things we tried in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, and it is quite possible that we should have done more. You know, if if we are going to. Uh, be in a situation where at some point we can move back to the way we used to operate. Essentially, then the right policy is to do everything you possibly can just to keep businesses alive so that we can tide ourselves over till till we can uh, resume the resume life as it used to be. If it's the case, as I think is now becoming more likely, that certain things are going to change forever, then you actually probably want to do less because you actually need to encourage transitions rather than tide people over. And that balance between the two, and the government is sort of trying to dance but uh, on both stalls at the moment, uh, is very difficult. And, and it's difficult because we don't know. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that, that's exactly the um, problem the government, the Chancellor, is facing to what extent is he continuing to do this keeping of the economy on ice so that we can return to normal quickly? And to what extent is he um, having to accept or we having to accept that the future is going to look different and therefore attempts to keep things the same actually turn out to be expensive failures in the long run and may actually make things worse because it uh, slows the speed of transition. Um the uh, the other big tax cut uh, last week was the stamp duty uh, holiday. Um, so if you're buying a property for less than £500,000, you pay no stamp duty. And indeed, if you're buying one for more than £500,000, you'll pay 15000 or so less than 
previously. Um, Helen, what do we know about the effectiveness of um, policies of that kind? Well, there's a pretty decent evaluation of a stamp duty holiday cut that happened in 2008 and 9, and it showed that it was actually a pretty effective fiscal stimulus. And that's actually not so much about boosting housing transactions, although it does do that, which, which you'd expect, because stamp duty is a poorly designed tax that even in normal times holds back housing transactions. So you take that tax away and you get more housing transactions. So it's successful in that regard. But the big stimulus effect really comes from the spending that's associated with moving house. So you move house, you employ a uh, decorators, you buy new white goods, and it's all that activity. So the evaluation from 2008 suggested that for every pound of tax cut, there was an extra pound of economic activity. So in that sense, very effective. Now, of course, we can't be sure it'll be the same this time. If people, for example, are more uncertain about their future job prospects and where they want to live, um, or how much they want to spend at the moment on buying you know, lots of new furniture, it may not be as effective. But I think of all the stimulus policies out there, it's probably um, not a bad one to go for. Again, timing is going to be key. Um, I think there would have, because there would be some pent up demand for housing uh, purchases during the uh, lockdown. I think we would have seen some housing purchase coming back anyway. So sometimes there, there was just some lucky people out there who've got now big tax breaks they didn't expect. So arguably we could have gone a little bit later with it and and just gone for more additional demand. But again, same issues, lots of uncertainty. Um, so you have to go at some point, Chris. No, I agree with that. I think that Helen's exactly right there. For example, there are people like my news editor who's going to get a very large windfall because he's moving anyway. Uh, but there are also uh, people who would not have moved, who will almost certainly move. And it is the ancillary spending which is key to stamp duty. So we've seen this uh in all forms of macro data. So the reason we worry about housing transactions is less that uh, whether people are moving or not, but it's more about for the economy as a whole, what it's saying about demand, because there's a lot of demand associated with housing transactions just, just generally in the economy and housing transactions have fallen off a cliff during COVID. So, you know, it could have bounced back. Uh, we we are going to be bringing forward transactions. With this isn't necessarily a permanent increase, but it is also something to stimulate the economy. And you know, when you are borrowing, what we now think maybe three hundred and seventy billion pounds. You know, five billion pounds here on stamp duty, five billion pounds on VAT cuts for the hospitality sector is frankly small beer. It's funny, isn't it, how um, five billion here and there can suddenly be uh, just small beer. I mean, you've both mentioned this issue. Uh, I don't think you've used the word of, of, of dead weight, that um, some significant chunk of uh, the activity that's being subsidised would have happened um, anyway. Uh, there's quite a lot of other policies the government's pursued, but one of the um, well, one of the biggest, potentially at least, was the job retention bonus. This is the policy which um, will provide employers with £1,000 for every employee brought back from furlough um, who is continually employed from that point to uh, the end of uh, January. Um, is, is that one where the dead weight might just be too big to make it worthwhile? I, I think it, I think that might be uh, one where the dead weight is too big because most of the people are likely to be coming back anyway. So in the Office of Budget Responsibility today had estimates of how many people come off furlough and go back into work, and they said it would be between uh, eighty and ninety percent with the 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 ranges of scenarios uh, that they were looking at, uh, and 
the numbers of people within that who would be encouraged back into work for the extra three months only because of the job retention bonus must be vanishingly small, I would have thought. Uh, it will be people right at the bottom end of the pay distribution, so just about where the £1,000 is the biggest uh, proportion of their uh, salary. Helen probably has all these figures right on her fingertips of exactly how much of a, of a subsidy it is. But for those people, there there might be just people on the margin who would otherwise not be employed. Um, but for the vast majority of people, it's not going to be the the thing that changes people's decisions about whether you take an employee back or not. And so the money is very largely going to be deadweight cost. So um, we're now going through uh, a period um, where we expect more before we expect less, I think, in the sense that the chance is likely to come back in the autumn with more uh, stimulus before at some point, probably two, three, four, five years down the road, he has to start worrying about paying for all this uh, back through tax rises or um, spending cuts. Uh, what other what other options uh, does, does Charles have open to him uh, at this point of trying to bring the economy back? Perhaps, um, perhaps Helen, you could say something about investment, which is something the Prime Minister, at least, has made quite a lot of, the idea that we might spend a lot of money on uh, additional infrastructure as a way of supporting the economy. Sure. So, I mean, we've talked about fiscal stimulus in terms of the government cuts some taxes so that people have more money in their pockets and they go out and spend more. Of course, if the aim is to get increased spending, the government can just directly increase uh, spending. And actually, in, in, even in normal times, you think that usually has um, kind of bigger bang for your buck because the government can guarantee that all of the money gets spent. It doesn't, you know, nobody gets saved by consumers. It all just goes straight into uh, spending. I think now might be a, this crisis might be a particularly good time uh, to do that because a lot of the private sector is effectively on hold. It isn't going to be making big investments because of the uncertainty and because it can't increase supply. So, it could be a good time for the government to be making some investments. It could also be investing in things that are good for the future, so not just useless investments, and actually not just infrastructure. So I'm sure there are potholes to be filled and there is broadband to be invested in, but it could also be investing in uh, social capital, human capital, natural capital. So it could be investing in, um, for example, environmental measures or improving certain environments. It could be investing in more teachers or more uh, training so things that would get people employed today and have benefits today, but also have benefits in the long run. So, now of course, the specifics, there are tons of different investments it could make. But um, I think, you know, it, it would be worth the government. And the government is already doing this. It's already putting some money into investments, but not just thinking about infrastructure. It could be thinking about how it could spend money and pump money directly into the economy. And not, not necessarily increasing it permanently, but on a temporary basis, doing more spending. We are seeing, of course, quite a lot of extra spending on new government departments like Test, Track and Trace. You know, this £10 billion is going to be spent on that. So that's an enormous amount of money they're shoveling out of the door uh, in very short order. I don't know whether the £15 billion they've allocated for personal protective equipment for the virus is necessarily going to be allocated very much to the UK or whether it's going to be on spent mostly on imports and therefore leak out of the UK economy. But again, there's some very, very large amounts of spending that is going on by the UK government very, very quickly, which is not capital investment, which generally is quite hard to get out of the door quite quickly. And they certainly have struggled in the past. And they look as if they're struggling this year again to find capital projects they can invest in, uh, which are effective and quick. And I suspect someone's going to make quite a lot of money out of this somewhere down the line, are they? 
there's a lot of people who are going to make a huge amount of money out of this. Um, and it won't be the employees of Test Track and Trace. It will be various suppliers to government who have clearly, it appears, been able to get some very favourable prices for equipment that the government was absolutely desperate to acquire very, very quickly uh, when it was facing a huge amount of criticism for leaving health sector workers without the equipment they needed to address the pandemic. Yeah, when you know your client will pay whatever it takes to get something, you can um, get a lot of money out of your client, especially when that client's the government who has as much money as it uh, as much money as it wants. Um, how how should we think about uh, about some of these stimulus policies, though, um, Chris? In this strange world where we're going through this, um, you know, the deepest recession in history. And yet a very large fraction of households um, or significant fraction of households are saving large amounts of money. I mean, they're actually going to come out of this with quite a lot of money in the bank because essentially they haven't been able to spend it. So if you've kept your job over this period, um, then there's a chance, there's a probability you've paid down your debts or you've um, built up a significantly increased bank balance. Is, is that um, is that going to be helpful for the economy coming out of this? Is that going to stoke inflation? Or is that is it that exactly the kind of money that the government is trying to persuade people to spend at the moment? Well, I think it's exactly the money the government is trying to persuade people to spend. So we've seen record increases in bank balances uh, over the past two or three months. Uh, it's one of these charts that's gone off the scale in ways that you've never seen or we've never seen before. And so you have to ask, what are people doing? Is this, is this is this precautionary saving? In which case, then we've got a demand problem and you, and you really, really need to encourage people to spend it. Or is it pent up demand just waiting to be spent? In which case, if it all comes back at once, when you've got restricted capacity in the economy and supply problems, then you could easily get inflation. The, what we see in the data is consistent with both stories, frankly, and uh, we don't know the answer. Um, all we can say so far is that there doesn't seem to have been uh, a huge amount of pent-up spending yet, but it could easily come at some point when people suddenly feel they're safe because they, the money, as you say, is in the bank. Now, it's not in everyone's bank accounts. We have to be absolutely clear about this. The distributional effects of this crisis have been rather extreme. They're certainly going to widen uh, the, the gap between people who have done well or have not been able to spend while earning uh, in this crisis. I, I'd he hesitate to say they've done well. They've been constrained from living their lives as they would otherwise want to live them. So they've clearly lost out, uh, but their bank accounts will be improved at the end of it. Uh, and people who've done badly, not only have they lost out because they can't run their lives as normal, but also they've quite possibly lost their jobs and their livelihoods at the same time. So uh, there's a huge distributional issue here as well, and the balance between that is um, is is rather difficult. We think it's rather spread over the income distribution as a whole, uh, but very very different for different families within pockets of the income distribution. So that's one of the things you know. It's still too early to 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 answer, but it is one of the things you keep we're keeping our eye on very very closely. Uh, and you can see in certain areas like retail sales in certain countries. For example, Germany and Korea, uh, retail sales are now uh, in the latest month, uh, which is May, were higher than would have been expected uh, if the previous path of the economy had been continued and higher than 
significantly higher than the same period last year. So there is some sign that in countries that have dealt with the disease pretty effectively, then people do go out and spend when they feel confident. Yeah, evidence that the best fiscal stimulus is uh, is is potentially just dealing very well with uh, getting rid of the virus and controlling it. The two go hand in hand. Exactly. The idea there was a trade-off between li- livelihoods and life uh, was always wrong. In this, uh, this is one of the things I think we you know we've been talking about uncertainty and things we don't know quite a lot uh, in the last few few minutes. But actually, one of the things I think we have learned and we do know now is that the best economic policy is to get your health system working effectively to deal with this virus. Well, let's hope we get there eventually. Um, Helen, other, other other things on the tax side that the um, Chancellor might be thinking about when he comes back, he's going to have a budget in November. And I'm not talking about tax increases here. I'm thinking about you know, other things he might be thinking about in terms of stimulating the economy in the short run. I mean, one thing he could think about is, uh, which I suspect he'll be on his list, is whether he wants to extend the measures he's already got. He's announced end dates for the temporary VAT cut and the stamp duty holiday but as they stand, they're due to expire early next year. Of course, early next year might be the case, might be the time when social distancing requirements maybe have come down. Let's hope they've come down. People can uh, go and do more normal activities. Maybe they're feeling more confident, but the economy is still weak because um, we haven't come back normal completely. That could be exactly the time where you still want a fiscal stimulus. So you might not want to take away the stimulus at that point. I mean, with stamp duty in particular, we know from the last stamp duty holiday that people completely unsurprisingly pull their transactions forward to be within the stamp duty window. So you pull forward your house purchases. I'd expect that next time too. So we'll see a spike in house transactions in March. Of course, what that means is that in April, May, June, we'll be seeing a depression in housing sales exactly at the time where the economy could still be weak. So even before he thinks about any new tax measures, he could be thinking about extending the ones that are already there. Of course, if he wants new ones, he could be thinking about broader VAT cuts, although, as Chris was mentioning earlier, um, that you know, part of that would be go to uh, spending on things outside of the UK economy. Um, and it's not clear that all sectors haven't been equally hit here. So in some ways, that, you know, there is a reason to target some of these things and not just go broad-based. But there are lots of other taxes he could cut. Um, I think a lot of it will depend on what's holding back the economy at that point and whether it's um, just uncertainty or whether it's certain groups have low incomes or whether it's certain firms are failing or, or whatever else happens to be holding back the economy specifically. What would you be advising him to do in the autumn, Chris? Well, I think one of the things that they have to think about in Treasury is thinking about companies that have piled themselves up with debt over the over the pandemic period because not only are they less likely to invest if they've got a overhang of a significant quantities of debt they might well be just struggling to survive and do nothing else and we might well see then just uh, a wave a tidal wave of bankruptcies because often in the recovery from recessions that you get bankruptcies rather than in the the in the depths of them themselves, especially if the government lending programs are beginning to wind down at that stage. So I think this is the the big topic, uh, which is partly a stimulus because we, do, we don't necessarily want to see companies going bust. And there's a even if even if they're terrible companies and should go bust, uh, that has a again a transition cost uh, to before the capital assets can be used elsewhere. So you might well want to see the government thinking harder about equity injections into companies, uh, which is very difficult 
um, because uh, or write-offs of debt. So again, all these things are difficult, and but this is where you need time to think about it uh, sensibly and to see where where exactly we are. But I think that's one of the where the crisis is going next. Wow, that's quite uh, that that's quite scary stuff. Uh, government having to um, essentially bail out large parts of the economy, or as you say, even start owning. Uh, large parts of the economy through um, equity acquisition. Um, that would be, you know, we, we've had so many policies over the last few months that are entirely new to us. Uh, so I suppose we shouldn't write off the possibility of more new policies of that kind, which is partly about just keeping the economy going, avoiding those bankruptcies. And in being that is clearly also uh, a significant stimulus relative to a world in which those companies were going bust. I'm sure the Chancellor and his officials are working hard on this at the moment because we clearly haven't seen the end of this extraordinary crisis or the extraordinary fiscal response to it. We've covered a lot of ground in this episode um, from what the Chancellor has done to what he might do in the autumn, and maybe Chris and Helen will come back to you uh, in the autumn when we uh, find out more about how the economy has progressed and how the Chancellor has responded. But for now, uh, we will leave this uh, this topic um, uh, not on a particularly cheerful note. Um, we are, as I said at the beginning, in the middle of the deepest recession in history. Uh, and that will uh, leave some desperately difficult decisions down the line. But even so, if you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe and rate us. And you can always stay on top of our latest work by visiting www.ifs.org.uk. Stay well, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon.